As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible, holy applause, <laughs> like Paul when he was fresh out the hospital like Welcome to Anything is The Boston Celtics Podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan And I'm joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King Ladies and gentlemen, and we are coming to you on November 1st, and Jay, I did not expect to be delivering this news, but the Brooklyn Nets have fired Steve Nash and hired Ime Udoka from the Boston Celtics. The Celtics uh, just letting Ime go to the Nets, no compensation involved whatsoever. I was shocked by that kind of series of tweets from Shams being like, they're firing Nash. Ime's the lead uh, uh, contender, and Ime's got the job. It all happened within an hour. What was your reaction to this news? Yeah, it's... So I wasn't stunned that Steve Nash got fired. Uh, Oh, no, that was going to happen before Christmas, no matter what. Yeah, that team has just been just soggy cereal, just despicable. (laughs) Um, But... The the E-May thing, and I'm not actually like shocked that they ended up with E-May Udoka because we've seen in the NBA that this is a league that gives very talented guys second chances. From I mean, Chauncey Billups is a head coach. Jason Kidd is a head coach. It's not a league that just like discards you right away. What I am surprised by with the Udoka thing is that it happened so quickly. He got suspended for uh, the full season by the Celtics less than two months ago, barely more than one month ago. And so this happened rapidly. Um, and and that's the stunning part of it. The, the compensation thing is interesting, especially because he ended up in Brooklyn where like they have enough talent that that could team could be a factor in the Eastern Conference. And if Udoka goes there and changes them and, instills defense in them and they become formidable. Like it, the Celtics could just look stupid 
for giving him away for nothing. But I think the most important thing here for them was just getting rid of him and having no more link to him and not having to pay him the rest of his contract, not having to haggle over whatever was left on his money. I think even though they just suspended him for one year, it was – I would have been very, very surprised if he ever was going to coach for the Celtics again. And and obviously this makes that pretty certain. Um, you never know what could happen down the road years from now. Uh, but it's like – I don't think this is the determining factor in him not coaching for the Celtics again. Like, I don't think he ever was going to coach for the Celtics again, even though it was just labeled a one-year suspension. Oh, no, I, I agree. I always thought he was coming back. I think that the, the thing you pointed out is just how quickly it happened. And for the Celtics, it felt like uh, it, it, they kind of were putting this in the past. Or attempting to. It wasn't like they're in the first couple of weeks of the season that um, like the EMA questions were coming up. I think that's the most interesting thing is it's a scenario in which there weren't a lot of questions, answers, there weren't a lot of details. In a situation where EMA Yudoka didn't have to answer questions from the media whatsoever. He will now. I don't know how. Yeah, he will now. I don't know how quickly, like. I know the Nets are playing the Bulls right now. I don't think he's on the bench for that one. But now he's required to speak before and after every game. And you know, you know, like you wouldn't be doing your job and the rest of the media wouldn't be doing their job if like before the, the Celtics next game, uh, there's not there's gonna be obviously questions about that. Anytime the Celtics play Brooklyn, it's going to be a kind of a big fiasco. When the Brooklyn Nets come to Boston, which I don't think happens till February, that's gonna be a huge story. The reception there. So that was my other takeaways, like something that I thought was going to, at least for this season, just kind of be in the background and kind of always there, always hovering over the season, just kind of the nature of it is very much on the foreground now. And now it's just something that kind of everyone involved, the Celtics, Ime and all of the Nets kind of have to deal with just because he's going to be on the bench soon. Yeah. And, and, and that will make it like the fact that he went to. I don't want to call the Nets a rival of the Celtics, but they're in the same division. And, like, and they've they got, played in the playoffs. The they've past got some two recent years. playoff history. Yeah, uh, Kyrie is in Brooklyn, who clearly has a history with the Celtics. Um, so, so that adds another layer to it. And then now I'm fascinated to see what happens with the Celtics coaching staff because the whole staff, like not the whole, most of the staff, is Emes guys. The, Other than Joe Missoula, pretty much the rest of the staff is like Ime's guys from his childhood in Portland. Yeah, and so they're all guys he's known for a long time, all guys that presumably are loyal to him, and and now he's coaching somewhere else. And so I don't think anyone will leave the Celtics bench right away. They're under contract to the Celtics. Like it, it's normal NBA practice to just leave the staffs alone and not like poach someone from another team during the season. I don't think that would even be allowed, like unless the Celtics allowed it, which like it would decimate their staff if those guys started leaving. So they're not going to allow it. Uh, but I think eventually like that's going to be a really interesting thing to see how many of those guys, including top assistants in uh, Damon Stoudemire, Ben Sullivan, Aaron Miles is another guy on staff. Like, 
ju- there's just a lot of guys with ties to Ime and who are loyal to Ime and who are friends with Ime who could eventually end up there. And I, gu- I guess it's not like crazy because if and, – under and a normal situation, if Ime had gotten fired by the Celtics or like if he had just left after the regular season or after the right after the playoffs, Joe Mazzulla would have been hired. He would have had time to – build a staff of his own guys and it would have kind of gone in a similar fashion i guess but it's just it's really interesting to me that all of his guys are on the celtic staff while he's on an atlantic division foe as their head coach it's just that's crazy to me also crazy the brooklyn nets not like it was an easy situation before all of this happened you had kyrie with his like anti-Semitic posting and not really understanding why that was an issue and like lashing out against Nick Friedle. The team is two and five. Oh, this summer that both Kyrie and KD requested uh, to leave. It's it's kind of a, a very toxic and chaotic situation. And for Ime, who was just suspended two months ago for some sort of inappropriate relationship with a, with an employee of the Celtics, it's just an, a, a kind of a very bold move by the Nets to invite that level of scrutiny and that level of scandal to a season that's already like the, the whole organization in the, in the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving era has been kind of scandalous. And I just like it's been a circus and it's just like adding more on top of that. I have no idea how the basketball is going to be affected, but. There's going to be certainly a lot of hoopla around this team, no matter what happens. Uh, and it just feels like they're raising the intensity of that uh, to a wild amount that I, I just don't know if like that locker room is necessarily prepared for. Yeah, and the Celtics, obviously, they decided, even though they had so many reasons to want to keep Udoka, like he took them to the finals. He engineered a turnaround. He built bonds with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, which were important. He like he did so much as a basketball coach right during his rookie season in Boston that obviously like basketball wise it would would have been great for them to keep him around they decided it was still serious enough to suspend him for a season and effectively i think like that was over it was over at that point like he was never coaching another game for them at that point no matter what that's the w- way i see it um and they took it that seriously. And it's just, it's interesting that the Nets, who the Nets look at the same situation and clearly think that he's still fit to coach and that he, whether they think he's been dealt a severe enough punishment already, whether they they know him very well, like they've had him on staff there they know what he's about as a person maybe they're just willing to believe in him uh but it's 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 really interesting and um obviously well, it's just like how do they how do they do their due diligence to kind of know what happened like the celtics brought in a separate law firm and i know there's like a lot of talk among people in the nba and they like but presumably that's like a a a situation where that is a like a, a secret information. It's not something like the Nets are just being like, "Hey, can we get the copy of your investigation I, into email?" I, like, I just don't. I don't mean to make light of this situation because it's super serious. 
and it's like like people are involved and i'm sure like email getting hired by someone brings up a lot of emotions for a lot of people in the Celtics organization um but this is email doka man he probably just told them the truth about it like and they're just there but that's he, the he thing pro- and that's, he we're probably just was like, fine with that he's probably he was probably like here's what i did wrong here's here's every single step of the way what i did um he is a man of of brutal honesty and the question is is that brutal honesty also going to work coaching Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant i mean it seems like the the Celtics stars bought in Ime uh, had was spent the year before that in Brooklyn so they do have a relationship with him but I think one of the things I we I called him Hardo Ime with his willingness to call out players in the press. I don't know how well that goes over in Brooklyn when you call out Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant after a game, or you know maybe a guy who's afraid to shoot or afraid about getting fouled. Like it's just going to be a very fascinating situation in Brooklyn that, and I frankly just wasn't wasn't prepared for that to happen. Yeah, and I don't know like if there's a specific type of person who can just relate better to Kyrie Irving. Like, I don't know if that person exists in the entire world. Um, so I'm not sure he'll connect with Udoka, but I'm not sure he would connect with any person in the world. Like, I don't think you could have found a coach out there who you could say confidently, oh, yeah, this guy will will make an impact on Kyrie, and Kyrie will really believe in this guy, and they'll, they'll be great together. This guy, the Kyrie whisperer over here, like, no, <laughs> that doesn't exist. Um, but it, it will be interesting to see how his style translates because the Celtics players before that were pretty open about how they wanted to be coached hard. And Brad Stevens, when he talked to the players before he hired his replacement, who ended up being Udoka, they said, yeah, like we want to be coached hard. We want someone who's going to hold us accountable. And so they quite literally signed up for that, asked for that. And I don't know, like Kevin Durant seems like a guy who's, who's pretty coachable, um, can, can take coaching. Uh, but what happens when he like, when Ime comes out and says that Ben Simmons was slacking on defense and that Ben Simmons needs to shoot three pointers or it will just be a failure for their offense all season. Or he comes out and says Kyrie's, defense was bad and he played too much isolation and and it was bad for the team like what happens then it'll be fascinating um and he's 100 percent different seems to be 100 percent different than steve nash was in that regard so it's just it's going to be a drastic change in that brooklyn locker room and, and they know Ime. he was an assistant coach there they know what they're getting in Ime. um so that's what they the organization feels like it wants. That's what the organization believes will work. Uh, and then the other part of it is, um, I, as I talked to NBA people, they said that uh, they thought Steve Nash really missed Ime and Mike D'Antoni when they left his staff. And so Ime's voice is something that's been missing from Brooklyn for a couple, uh, one year now, a year and, change not even that's crazy how quickly the NBA moves isn't it um but but I think Ime could also deal with something similar because he really leaned on Will Hardy 
he really leaned on Joe Missoula. And those guys aren't there. You know, they, they're both being successful head coaches right now. So I don't know what who he'll be listening to over in Brooklyn, but I do think it's possible that he'll miss those guys on his staff and that that will make a big deal for him. But I, he's going to bring a toughness to them that they didn't have. He's going to certainly <laughs> light up those motherfuckers when they play like they have so far. And I think they should defend better, but I don't know what what they'll and what that'll mean because they they just quite frankly have a lot of defensive holes, which the Celtics had none of by the end of last season. Literally zero. Every person in the rotation, maybe Peyton, maybe not Peyton Pritchard, was a plus defender and in most cases a significant plus defender. So he won't have nearly the same level of defensive ability that he coached in in Boston. So it'll be it'll be a really different job uh, in a lot of ways, and not not just because of the basketball stuff, but also he has to deal with all of the backlash that he has not dealt with yet. Like he that happened to him, and he stepped away, and he was like he he was forced to step away. It it was like when you get fired and there's a scandal, like that's what happens. But he hasn't dealt with any of this. And so starting with the press conference, whenever he's introduced, there is going to be a huge spotlight on what he says, what he does, how he acts the rest of this season. And he'll be scrutinized in a way that that he'd never encountered during his rookie season in Boston and probably, you know, at any other point in his coaching career or NBA playing career, like this will be a level of scrutiny that that he's not used to and, and basically nobody is used to. And, you know, it's not like the New York media is famous for uh, letting, it, letting it things go or going easy on a guy. It's going to be kind of fascinating what that's like just days after Kyrie Irving and his nonsense. And um, it's just all of this is coming to a head right now. And it's going to be very interesting to see what happens uh, as it progresses moving forward. Before this uh, kind of bombshell news today, I was planning on using this podcast to talk about the Boston Celtics and that wild overtime game against the Cavaliers on Friday night. And I guess a little bit more about uh, I guess the, the game against the Wizards. Uh, we saw a lot of Luke Cornett and we saw even more Donovan Mitchell and Karis LeVert. Karis LeVert just being an absolute Celtics killer and more, I would say, mediocre defense from the Celtics and more of an issue of just kind of basic roster construction. Now, Grant Williams wasn't playing in that game on Friday night due to his suspension, which, Jay King, you correctly predicted. Thank you, thank you. Was the, the kind of defense or lack thereof against the Cavs adding to kind of the cause for concern about this Celtics team, about them not having a backup big, about having to play Luke Cornett a bunch just because they didn't have the kind of the people to match up or against Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. Uh, are we also wrapping the Wizards game into this conversation? Yeah, I mean, the Rivers, Wizards game is kind of like a, a nothing game. It's like they beat the team that they were supposed to, and the Wizards don't have much talent. Like the Cavs, I feel like it's the main focus. But if you want to combine the two, by all means. 
I I think I will uh, because probably the most significant rotation development we've seen so far this season is now Luke Cornett becoming the primary backup big. And I don't think that he's great. <laughs> I don't think – clearly he's not Robert Williams. But I also think he is the best backup big man on this Celtics roster that not playing him – as the primary backup big from the start was a mistake and that the Celtics are better now with Cornette in the rotation than they were before. Um, how significant that is, I don't know. I, I'm still not sure how good Luke Cornette is. He hasn't really played much throughout his entire career, but he's he seems competent. He's incredible at contesting three-pointers from the paint, which is just... So much fun. I get I get a kick. I literally just cry laughing in the press row every single time he, he's, he does that. It's incredible. It's so rare to see a seven-footer just jumping like three feet away from the rim while someone's launching a 30-footer. It's it's just special. Um, so I, I do think he'll help the defense, though, not because of that, but just because he's a smarter, better defender than – Vonley and at this stage of his career, Blake Griffin. Um, so I think that helps. And the one thing Joe Mazzulla noted, which I sort of buy, is that the Celtics have been great at uh, shot selection defense, which is basically they're funneling teams into the right areas of the court and have, like, they've given up a ton of mid range jumpers. I think they forced the most mid-range jumpers in the league so far, which is good. They're taking away rim shots. They're taking away three-pointers, which is good. Um, and over the long run, that stuff should matter. But I do think like their lack of size matters. The lack of rebounding at all times matters. They've had they haven't been like a terrible rebounding team. I think they're 14th or 15th in defensive rebound rate, which is fine, uh, especially with how small they're playing. But there have been like patches of certain games where it just gets bad um so i don't know I, i'm not i don't think it's like their defense is super concerning but i i do agree with if if your stance is that they won't have the same defense that they did last season while robert williams is out like absolutely they're not going to be elite they're going to be i think good uh maybe better than good but elite like i don't see that happening without robert williams yeah, and I think the Cavs are especially a bad matchup for them because Luke Cornett, I think he's talented on the defensive end more so than Blake Griffin, who I feel like was just immediately targeted uh, as soon as he got on the court, and Noah Vonley. I think Luke gives you, he's got some soft hands. He makes the right decision. We saw him knock down a, a three to beat the shot clock. He has some skills out there, but if Luke Cornett's on the court, you're going to be in drop coverage like you're not asking him to switch he pretty much and and doing what you said inviting those kind of mid-range shots and just looking at the shot chart for what like Levert and Donovan Mitchell got in that game like I don't know if they were the most uh, efficient but they took a lot of mid-range shots which I think you're kind of inviting the the I guess the concern is is with having Luke Cornett out there do you kind of invite um, those kind of threes that uh, like right off a, a a ball screen 
where a guy can just pull up because Cornette's not uh, up high enough to meet them. That's kind of felt like where Lavert and Mitchell really killed the Celtics in that game was just their kind of blistering shooting from downtown. I just thought it was interesting that the strategy late in that game um, from a rotation perspective, like they kept Cornette, Cornette in there down the stretch and decided not to go small, obviously because they're going small earlier in their game. They were just getting abused on the boards and abused inside by the very talented Evan Mobley. Uh, I guess the I think the thing that's concerning, and maybe it's just this specific matchup because I can't think of a lot of other teams in the East that have like the size that Cleveland does that will kind of force you to play two bigs. But in that matchup, it just like the Celtics really couldn't do anything uh, without having at least two bigs out there. And I just on the offensive end, it led to them scoring, what, 15 points in the fourth quarter. Um, I think also part of that was they, they got away from Jason Tatum and Tatum only played six minutes. But just the offense, having Cornette out there just to serve the kind of the, the defense and size purposes just has a huge limitation. Uh, on what the offense can do and the spacing and the amount of ta- uh, attention that teams can give Jason Tatum. I think some of that's fair. Uh, that game also showed the downside of having such a lopsided roster loaded with guards. Like Luke Cornett, I think he played more minutes than both Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon in that game. I mean, it's also and, Grant wasn't and, there. You would presumably Grant would be in that game instead of Luke Cornett, I would think. Agreed, but at the same time, like sometimes Luke, Grant's going to run. Luke into Cornett a is is not as good as those guys, and the fact that even if you're missing Grant Williams, like the fact that you have to limit minutes for Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon so you can play a less talented player, like, that's not great. Um. And then I also think Missoula just kind of has to get a handle on how to succeed with his team. To to me, like, why worry about the size of Jarrett Allen and Evan, Mo- Evan Mobley? Like, honestly, why worry about those guys? Like, they're, they're f- fine offensively, I guess, but, like, they're not going to kill you offensively. They're not the most physical rebounders. Like just go small and force Jared Allen to guard the three point arc, and yeah, and I was very confused why they didn't go to the the smaller lineup with Brogdon to close that game out, especially when they were struggling to score in that fourth quarter. Yeah, so I I think there's some stuff that Missoula has to work through, uh, some lineups, some strategies that he has to find out like what will work best, um, and but also part of that is like their smaller groups just have to play bigger too. Like when they're on the court, they have to defend with those groups. They have to be sharp. They have to defend. They have to rebound with all five players. Like when you're, when most of your better players are perimeter guys, then it like, you can really be great offensively, but you have to work really hard to be great defensively. And that game, they just went big. I don't think they'll always go big, but but that was interesting from Missoula. Um, and then... What do you think about the rotation of like not getting Tatum back into the game until the six-minute mark of that fourth quarter? And then he just didn't... Like They did not run the offense through Tatum there after he had, what, 30 points in the first three quarters? Uh, in that fourth quarter, he had... 
I'm just looking for the box score now. Uh, second half, fourth quarter. He only had three shots, and he was 0 for 3. I mean, the Celtics only scored 15 points. I mean, it's not like the, the Cavs were lighting them up. The Cavs really made their comeback there in the third quarter. It was a 19-15 quarter, but Tatum doesn't come back till the six-minute mark, and then really they have a number of just bad possessions and bad turnovers there where uh, it feels like you... It's such a like a cliche thing to say, but like get the ball to your stars. I, I mean, I said before, I think like Cornette being on the court means that defenders like Mobley and like Allen can pay a lot more attention to Tatum. But uh, it just felt like a an odd offensive performance from the Celtics, who have been just lights out offensively for like uh, every other game this season. Yeah, I, I, that game, the second half, they just came out and just didn't have the same mentality they've had for most of the season. They came out, I think, like, their first two possessions were just disgusting, like, sort of ISO plays. Um, They did not have the same feel to them during that second half for whatever reason. Um, And part of that was Mitchell and Levert just hit tough, tough shots. Like, those guys really put on a shot-making display. Part of the reason that the Celtics, like – expected field goal percentage against is way worse than their actual field goal percentage against was that those guys hit a lot of shots but then even even like late in that game that one play where Brogdon just doesn't box out Chris Levert Levert gets a rebound Horford is so pissed that he like look turns around and looks at Brogdon while Chris Levert is just walking out to the three-point arc and making a three it was just a, a a huge breakdown by them um so i don't know if if it's right to judge them on that half but that's that's one of the 12 halves they've played so far it's a small sample size and you can't cut out a half like that but i do think they'll be better than that um and i think cornet playing cornet over vonley and griffin will make a difference and that will help to some extent the defense um at least be a little bigger, you know, like having Cornette, like there, that's a lot of size and it gives you more of that feel of size and physicality than, than they had earlier in the season when like Vonley, he's, he's strong, but he's like what, six, nine. So he's like five inches shorter than Cornette four four inches did shorter. Did you know, did you know that Cornette is the fifth tallest player in the league? I did not know who's taller, Jared Allen, Joel Embiid. He's the fifth tallest and the tallest American. Boban. Boban is one. Joel Embiid. Uh, Joel Embiid. Uh. Bull Bull. Bull Bull. And you're never gonna guess the fourth one. I've got to now. Chris stops. I don't think it was Kristaps. Kristaps is absolutely taller than him. That's just a fact. Uh, well, that's not the list I had. The list I had has uh, Alex Len as uh, the fourth tallest player well, in the league. Alex Len is an American. Alex Len is from the Ukraine. He... Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm doing this from memory based on when I looked it up on Friday night, so I could be incorrect, but I'm pretty sure that was the uh, the list. But you're right. Luke Cornett, confirmed tall guy, confirmed uh, 
contester of shots from the paint. Also, they just started giving him his own uh, segments at Celtics games, Cornette's Corner. We got to hear uh, his takes on candy corn. Um, we also got to hear the entire crowd ruthlessly boo Grant Williams for saying pizza was overrated, uh, which I thought was a fantastic moment. That was great. I, I wish he'd been in the building to to hear that. Yeah, he deserves to be booed for and publicly shamed for such a... Uh, such nonsense. It's a, how, a, a terrible take. How did you feel about Grant dressing as Batman and showing up to the game and then doing his post-game press conference as Batman? <laughs> I thought it was perfectly Grant Williams. Uh, absolutely just nerdy, ridiculous. Better question, what did you think? You're the one who had to stand there in the scrum and, and listen to him while he gave these Not kind only- of... Not only Nonsense that, answers. You asked a question of it, and he just that, kind of answered in his Batman voice. What did I, you think about I it? I had to ask a question because uh, I had to write a story that night about <laughs> about how Joe Mazzulla likes like the math of the shots they've given up, the shots they've taken, yada, yada, yada. So I had to ask Grant Williams a real question because they didn't make a lot of players available. So I needed a quote, and he answered like fucking Batman. And uh, did you use the quote? No, no, <laughs> I did not use a quote. He said something like, "We need to fight crime." And I was like, "Come on, Grant, for fuck's sake!" But but it was a good, did it was a good moment with w- Tatum. Tatum asking what the fuck he was doing that was pretty funny. That was uh, fantastic. How did you feel about being kind of a a background player for Jason Tatum's uh, Instagram story about that? Right. Smack dab. There's Jay King backwards hat backpack on in the middle of. I didn't Jason have Tatum's a backwards Instagram hat. Story. Please look at it again. It was it was forward forward hat. Sorry. Hat. Um, oh, excuse me. Please give me some respect. I don't consider myself a background player. I consider myself more of a, you were, you a, star, you a star of that of, of that, that video? video. Yeah. You are so delusional. It's a joke. No, but isn't it sad that I had to like ask a question of Batman and. And actually, be a little frustrated that I <laughs> that that was going on. Like well, I, you guys just kept asking questions. I was like, I, as soon as he answered the first question in Batman voice, I was like, well, this feels like it's kind of pointless. But then like, there's like seven more questions asked. I was I was a little hopeful that at some point he would answer as Grant, but he never he never got out of character. He never. I'll did. be really impressed if he does it again Wednesday night against the Cavs like that. That shows commitment to it. Would, Anyone can do it on Halloween, but if he does it again against the Cavaliers, then he, I'm really impressed by his commitment. He, he's got to give it up. He's got to give up the <laughs> Batman thing. You're you're not Batman. You never were Batman. <laughs> you're not a superhero. You're you're a seventh man. <laughs> I, I'm kind of kidding, but but not really. Um. I, I you should have just taken him aside, sidled up to him afterwards and go, hey, Grant. Just slapped his mask right off him. Cut the shit, man. Just answer my question about mid-range jump shots and then we can go, we can all go home. I thought about it, but honestly, like that's one of those situations where you kind of just st- stare inwards <laughs> and ask yourself what the fuck is going on. And uh, like, I, I shouldn't have to ask a grown man to stop being Batman so I can do my job. <laughs> no, no it, was, it was more one of those things 
or it was like, I shouldn't be frustrated with this good fun. I should just appreciate this good fun. Like other people are appreciating this good fun instead of being frustrated that, that I couldn't do my job right. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. If you really were wanted to be a star of the show, you would have asked him in front of the whole scrum to stop it with the Batman voice so you can do your job. Then you would have become <laughs> a star. Then you would have become a hardo, like Big J journalist. Oh, look at this guy who thinks he's too good for Batman. That's how you. Uh, that's how you make waves. That's how you make a name for yourself. Would you shut the fuck up with this <laughs> nonsensical Batman bullshit? Already, just answer the question about mid-range jump shots, you <laughs> buffoon. <laughs> and that's the other thing. Like, it wasn't a good question. It wasn't a particularly useful question. Um, oh, that's the nature so of the it, game. It was you know? so, some, so, some nights are just tough. Some nights you have to ask a grown man pretending to be Batman about how Joe Mazzula funnels <laughs> funnels the defense. <laughs> Uh, toward uh the right zones so that was that was a a new new career milestone for me first time i've ever asked a a grown-up pretending to be batman a question about (laughs) stupid nerdy basketball stuff well it's the first time for uh first time for everything and uh i'm glad we were able to kind of cross that moment together uh, is there anything else, any other takeaways that we missed from that game against the Cavaliers or the game against the Wizards? Malcolm Brogdon had a, a fantastic game. Just have to mention that uh, just having him be able to come in and get 20 points off the bench is, I think, is super helpful for this team. Um, but other than that, I thought it was a kind of a rather pedestrian win against uh, a bad Wizards team. And I think the real test is interesting because all the things we mentioned about Missoula struggling 
to play the Cavaliers and, and had that being a tough matchup for the Celtics. Um, he gets a real chance to make all of those adjustments tomorrow night in Cleveland. And so uh, we'll see. Maybe maybe he will go small. Maybe he'll force the the Cavs to guard to the three-point line. I think Darius Garland will be back, but I'm unsure at this point. But it's definitely going to be a good matchup to see how the Celtics adjust and where they uh, kind of stand with the uh, seemingly one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference. The uh, The only other takeaway I had from that game is why do they keep playing Peyton Pritchard for like two minutes at a time? <laughs> like, because they feel so badly that they've taken his role from him and they don't let him get it back. And they need, I'm like for PP's sake, trade PP, get a backup big in here. Let that man, Peyton Pritchard deserves 20 minutes a game in the NBA. He has earned it. He is talented enough to do that. He has shown that he does good things with a ball in his hands. I know they're not going to trade him just to, for the sake of trading him because you don't know what happens with injuries, but I feel bad for Peyton Pritchard at this point. And you're right. This shabby treatment of him just playing two minutes is just uh, its unfair to Peyton Pritchard because it's not like he can get, get in a rhythm there. Uh, it's just uh, sad stuff for, for fast PP there. Uh, yeah, it's just like if you're going to play a guy for a minute and a half, just don't play him. <laughs> just give those minutes to someone else. Just give him a medicine ball and tell him to go work out in the locker room post game like he was Shemi Ojale. Like just just tell him to get his work in there because you're right. Two minutes in the final two minutes of a game when you're up twenty is just not not enough for Peyton Pritchard. Uh, then the other thing is the pretty regular non Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown minutes and Marcus Smart is uh. Interesting. Yeah, not not exactly what you would imagine. I think there's like there's a lot of reliance on Brogdon in those lineups. Seemingly, like I feel like Brogdon's always on the court during those times. But it feels like when you have that amount of guard talent, like you would want, I think two out of those four guys uh, throwing Brogdon in there on the court at all times, and it's kind of bizarre that. They haven't figured out a way to do that. Even even just staggering Jalen and Jason, it feels like there there shouldn't be a moment where one of those guys isn't on the court. So I agree that that um, the rotations have been I don't know not ideal. Again, I it's all like that's the be- like the things fans do the best is questioning the rotations of coaches. But like when you see that, when you see so many times where Jalen, Jason, and Marcus Smart are on the bench. Um, and kind of the struggles that those lineups have, you, you begin to um, maybe second-guess Missoula and his picks there. So and definitely something to monitor moving forward. Another thing to monitor, something that's been... <laughs> I like that you had one thing to talk about, and then you know, this is all, we're well, uh, on that, topic four. <laughs> that, that reminded me of something that that is just weird. I don't, want, I don't want to stifle your creativity. Go off. Malcolm Brogdon so far? Higher usage rate than he had last season in Indiana. Yeah, no, when Did he's in the game, the coming. ball is in his hand. He is the point guard when he's in the game. He is like fully like the guy to go to. Did not see that coming at all. And I don't even know whether that's a good thing for the Celtics. I like it when Tatum's not in the game. Like when I think when Tatum goes to the bench and Malcolm Brogdon, I think he's done a really good job of being that like distributor is scoring on his own. He's very crafty in the lane with these weird little hook shots. I think he's very aggressive. 
uh, I, I just, I like him in that role for when Tatum's on the bench. Uh, but I think you'd like to see him out there with, you know, some more, I don't know. That's another thing. What does Derek White do? Derek White's an enigma. Derek White either has just like the best game or he just has a game where he does, it feels like he has zero impact. And it just feels like there's just a lot of guards on this roster. I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad thing, but it's just confusing what everyone's role is and what, when they play together. And I think it's something that clearly the Celtics are still trying to figure out, but Derek White will have a game where he's just scores 20 points. And he's, he's certainly very good at, uh, I guess finger roll is his layup of choice now, but there's other games where he's just doesn't really do much in terms of the box score and just trying to figure out where all these guys fit together. I don't think the Celtics have an exact answer of, of where to play all of these guys who are, are approximately the same size. Do you think it's should be in concrete that when the Celtics go small to finish a game, Malcolm Brogdon should be with that unit instead of Derek White? Ab- yeah, I, yeah, and they email or Missoula went with White when he did go small at the end of that Cavaliers game, brought in Cornette, and then eventually I think went back to Brogdon. I think it has to be. I think White is probably a better defender than Brogdon, but I think in terms of just your best definitely a better defender. Unit, yeah, and he'll take more charges. Brogdon has a little bit more size, but I think just in terms of pure shooting, I'd rather have Malcolm Brogdon and just playmaking and creation. I'd rather have Brogdon out there. I think White's a, a luxury, but I just don't think his shooting is that is there enough to kind of justify him being that much uh, out there instead of Brogdon. I think Brogdon is just like a clearly a, a better all-around player just purely because from what he gives you offensively. Oh, see, I'm not sure that that answer should be a concrete. I think, I think White's a better defender. I think Brogdon's playmaking is muted when he's with those other guys when Tatum, Brown, and Smart are all on the court. And I also think when you have those guys all out there, and especially when it's Al Horford instead of Robert Williams, you kind of need another energy guy. And and Derek White is very good at moving without the ball. He's very good at setting screens. and He can dive off the screen. He can pick and pop. He can do a lot of things that bring energy to your offense. Uh, and maybe Brogdon will will evolve into that and learn how to do that now that he's playing with better players again, but I think that's going to take some time. Uh, so I'm, I'm not like a hundred percent convinced yet that it should be Brogdon in that closing group when they go to that. I'm not, and I'm not ruling it out. I may look like an idiot later on for saying this. I know Brogdon shooting is a big deal. And, and that white's lack of shooting in the finals, especially was a huge deal. But I, I do think there's like a, a level of energy that Derek White brings that's just really important for that offense when he plays with that group. You tried to hedge your bets. You tried to say you may look stupid, but no, I think the clear lines have been drawn. I'm Team Brogdon. You're Team White. That, that's, and this is that, just to be a battle. This is This not will true. be a battle that rages for the rest of the season. Every time that lineup is good with Brogdon, I'll, I'll tweet at you. And then every time the lineup's good with White, you'll be too scared to tweet at me because you don't want to take a stance. But everyone knows, listening to this podcast, that you believe in Derek White more than Malcolm Brogdon. I think it's abundantly clear. This is not true at all. Uh, But I think the jury's out. I think the jury's out. 
I would like to see I more evidence. I think the evidence. jury should nullify Jay King. I just want to see more evidence. Always wanting more evidence. All right. Uh, would you say making up uh, things about what your podcast co-host said, uh, would you say that's potable? Uh, yeah. I guess that's a trick you just used. So there we go. Yeah. You're absolutely right, Jay. I, and I think my it supports my further contention, uh, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, that anything is potable. Thank you for your time. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.